Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. And so sure enough, the goose is flying about 100 yards away, not interested. And I hit that flag, and that damn thing locked up its wings and and sucked right to that flag. It's like a magic wand. We shot that bird. A little group of birds come off after that. And I hit that, I started flagging, and that damn, them birds locked in. And I'd stop flagging, and they'd kind of start, kind of moving their wings. I'd hit that flag, they'd lock in again. And I could pull those birds over them. And so I was the first person in my area to shoot, to use a flag. Welcome to the Foul Front Outdoors Waterfowl Podcast, where our goal is to recruit and educate new hunters while entertaining the rest of you. Without new hunters and the mentorship of those more seasoned, this passion as we know it faces an uncertain future. So get the word out, turn the volume up, and enjoy the show, because you're on... The Foul Front. All right, today we've got Jeff Stanfield uh, from Stanfield uh, Outfitters and the Big Honker Podcast on. Now, me and Jeff have been, um, we've been basically talking since we found each other out um, on in the podcast world. Uh well, Jeff, that that was kind of a, a short intro. You're a you're a man that probably deserves quite a, a longer intro, but how'd I do there? Oh, that basically summed my life up right there. Short and sweet. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Now, you've been, how long have you been guiding? Well, I don't actually guide no more. I'm I'm the outfitter for sure now, but I have owned and been in the hunting business. I think, I believe the first hunt we did was in 1992. Okay. And that's, and that's pretty close. So that's going to be 25, 26, 27 years. I, depends how you do the math. I think this is the 27th year I've did hunts. Yeah, I was still filling my diapers at that point. I've been doing it a long time. There's not a lot of guys in it that, that have been in it this long, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I can't remember, how did we How did we get to talking? Um, it was over the Facebook closed group for podcast. That's right. And we had, had talked about doing a group podcast with you know three, three or four different of the Waterfowl podcast. 
and we started chit chatting back and forth on Facebook and become friends. And you know, you're the exact opposite of me. You're a, a, a great guy, a gentleman, a lot of class, politically correct, and I'm all of the opposite of that, just about. <laughs> well, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say that at all. Um, you know listening to your guys's podcast and getting to know you guys through the podcast and then getting to know you, you know, on the, uh, on the phone and just talking about different things and texting and whatnot. Um, I mean, there's a reason you're on my show. <laughs> um, well, I, I appreciate that very much. It's an honor. I promise. Oh yeah. I did. It, it, uh, I, yeah, you, you guys are definitely, uh, class act guys, whether you want to believe it or not. So, <laughs> but yeah, I can go ahead. Oh yeah, so big honker podcast. Uh, you guys are you guys are big. We're, we're we're growing just just like you guys are. It's a we've been doing it since April ninth. It's it's been a fun thing to do. It's me and Andy, my oldest son, do it. It's about our business, which is Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, and we talk. You know, just like we, it's hunting the products. We've had some interesting people on. We've got Ted Nugent coming on with us. We've got Bill Dance going to be on the fishing guy in a couple of weeks. Uh, Today we're doing a guy named Sean Dwyer, the youngest captain in the Deadliest Catch deal. So we try to – we're doing more than just the hunting stuff, but just trying to find interesting people that have the same things we have in common, which is hunting. Yeah, absolutely. What motivated you all to start a podcast? Um, Andy talked to me last year during hunting season, and he told me, he said, hey, he goes, "Let's. you need to have a podcast. I used to, I used to write a – a column for a bunch of newspapers out here called Just Jeff, and it was basically the same thing that my Facebook is, which is not, you know, political. Or it is political, not a lot of non non politically correct stuff, and just kind of outgoing. And I've done stand up comedy, and we I wrote a book and just things like that. And he thought it'd be really something for me to do. I think, and I wasn't interested because I'd really never even been around a podcast. I didn't even know what a podcast. I knew what it was. But I'd never listened to one. And he's like, hey, you need to do a podcast. And so I thought, you know, I am not. I just don't know about that. And then he, he said, let's do a podcast. I said, you know what? We'll do one. You set it up, we'll do one. So it's his baby, and, he, and it was his idea. And it's been the best time. I'm trying to, I guess the word I would use is it's, it's taken more of my time during the summer and made my summer go by a lot faster than normal. Sure. Yeah, I can sentiment with that. Yeah, it's a lot more work than people put into. Yeah, people and, think and, we just kind of sit down in front of a microphone and and talk, but there's a lot more into it. Yes, people don't uh, people don't see that. I have people all the time. It's it's exactly right. They think you sit down and you talk for 15 minutes or an hour and you push a button and you've got a show, and it, it doesn't work that way. And and I tell people all the time, ours I say is ours is unedited. But it's not unedited than the fact that we don't have to do editing to make the sound better and stuff. We just – we don't usually cut out anything we talk about. Right, yeah. It, there's a lot that goes into, you know, and I I still, you know, I don't struggle with it. But um, when I go through and I proof my, my podcast episodes um, and I'm in the truck, I'm like, God dang it. That's too loud on this side or that dude's too loud. And then you got to go through and you can pay for services or things like that. But – it's uh, there's definitely you're always got quality in your mind, you know, especially for ease of of listening. Yeah, that's that's right. And um, 
And now I've become a podcast uh, a podcast nerd, I guess you'd say, because I listen to a lot of different podcasts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I, I'm a big fantasy football guy, and so I listen to them. Probably I listen to a podcast ninety percent of the time in my vehicle now. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't ever listen to the radio no more. Nope, nope. I mean, there's some days I I got to make a, a rule to myself. I say, okay, well, let's just listen to some music and turn the brain off for a little bit. <laughs> But uh, I don't even do that anymore, hardly at all. And I used to, I'm a big, I like, I love music. Now I spend a lot of time in a truck. You know, live in West Texas, you drive a lot, we chase birds, I scout, or you go anywhere. Hell, it's an hour to the group, to the a big grocery store or the doctor's office from where I'm in, from where I'm at, basically. So I drive everywhere, and I used to listen to a lot of music, and I never do. Yeah. Yep, I, that's the same here. It's like I don't even know what's on the the top forty country radio anymore. So, yeah, I, I could I could I couldn't tell you if you told me you'd give me a million dollars to name five songs in the top forty country songs right now, I would lose a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, my my wife, we went uh we went up to well we're actually getting ready to go to Nebraska today, but last time we headed up to Nebraska, uh, I turned you know she like started scrolling through her playlist and I said. Oh my gosh, that's a that's a good song. That's a new song. Like, and she's like, you know, that's been out for about five months, Ben. And I said, oh, yep. So, so you going to a Husker game this weekend? Yes, sir. Actually, I'm going to go uh, teal hunting tomorrow morning. Um, got some some private land next to um, a, a decent uh, uh, marsh that's known to be pretty good. And uh, so we're going to go teal hunting in the morning, waking up early. Uh, getting out there with a couple of my my good buddies that I haven't seen in a, in quite a while, and then uh, I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna take a quick nap, and then we're gonna head on over to the stadium, and we're gonna do some tailgating around in the uh, the North Bottoms, is what they call it, and uh, downtown, taking the baby with us. So either bold, stupid, or call it hubris, maybe. I think we're gonna be all right. But um, and then once the the game kickoffs at like 7 p.m., so. We're going to just head back to my sister-in-law's place and watch it there and put the kid down. So you're not ta- you're not going to the game. You're just going to the tailgate. No, yeah. I, that's me. I, I, I like going into the games. I like to go into, like, you know, once a season maybe I like to try to go into the stadium and stuff. But my parents sold their season tickets, and um, now it's like, oh, do I want to really go pay 80 bucks to watch a, watch the game in the stadium where, I, you know, there's no beer there. <laughs> uh, you know, I gotta go to the bathroom. I'm gonna miss 15 minutes of the game. Um, yeah, I mean, the experience is worth it for a little. I usually end I end up going home at halftime, so to watch it on my high definition TV or something. How? Um, who's Nebraska play this weekend? Akron. Oh well, shit, that ain't a football game. <laughs> well, it's yeah, that's how the you know the the Big Ten. They usually started off with some of the high school teams. I'm not. I'm not saying anything bad about Akron, so I, you know, I don't even know who they are. But I know in the past, um, you know, Nebraska in the first couple weeks, you know, those those smaller schools can give them some trouble sometimes. But uh, I'm really excited. If, we if got, y'all don't beat that, if if you don't beat Akron, then Scott Frost going to have a long first year. Well, I don't. I don't think anybody's expecting a whole bunch from this year because. Just with, you know, we have a really tough schedule. There's like three weeks in a row where we've got, 
Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan, all away. You know what I mean? That's a tough schedule. That's a tough, like, middle part of year. Actually, that's like three-quarters of the way through the season, so. I still say the worst thing Nebraska did was join in the Big Ten. Well, you know, the money is right, and the, I, I don't want to get into a Big Ten, Big 12 debate here, but uh, we'll see. You know, Big Ten did pretty dang good last year in the uh, in the Bulls. Yeah, but they haven't done other than Ohio State's one year. It's been pretty. It's been pretty well. Uh, other than Ohio State, there's nobody else done very good up there consistently lately. Well, well, you know, you got with and I. You, ugh, I, I, you'll never catch me saying this again, and I'm, I'm. It almost makes me sick to say it, but you know, Wisconsin fields a great football squad. Every yes, they year. do. They're always, they you know, they're always like, uh, they always they win the games they should, and then they beat people that they shouldn't. Um, <clears throat> and uh, ugh, I about threw up in my mouth saying that. And then, why don't you, know, you like Wisconsin? Uh, <laughs> just, y'all, didn't have, y'all didn't have any rivals up there really until that, I that I consider them our rivals. Just every West, t- Wisconsin, they come out and they just beat the the heck out of us and they don't stop and they you know like we just it's always like i don't know it just it hurts me to watch us play wisconsin maybe it's because we have similar colors and you know we're both similar midwest states and uh i don't know that's if i have listeners in wisconsin i'm sorry but uh that is how i feel (laughs) do you not do you not miss the oklahoma games oh so that's the that's you know oklahoma colorado texas um, and I saw that um, we're playing Colorado. Um, you know, I miss the Iowa State games too. You know, um, but I think uh, I think that we're going to be seeing those on on our out of conference schedules a, a lot more with old uh, Scott Frost in there trying to make some decisions. Texas tried to play A and M again, and A and M wouldn't do it. Oh yeah. Just this week, I read about it. Texas, you watch, mark this down right now. It's August. The University of Texas will be a top 10 football team this year. Okay. I wrote mark it down. It down. <laughs> That's, they're gonna, they're, they're a program on the rise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying it, but I'm thinking next year we're going to be starting off that way. So uh, I got, uh, I got all the faith and confidence in the world of Coach Frost. And I think he's going to get us back to where we need to be, which is where we need to be is beating Alabama's butt in the national championship. Well, my uh, Blake that works for me, he's a Nebraska kid, and he's he's sold on Frost going undefeated this year. Oh, I, that's that's lofty. Uh, um, he's, he's a lofty guy. <laughs> I mean, I well, anytime your your coach can get down there and pad up and uh, run reps on the against the defense to give him a good look. Oof. You know what I mean? That's I it. didn't know he did that, but don't surprise him. He's a, he was a play, a gamer. Oh yeah. Yep. Well, Jeff, should we get away from football and uh, t- get into the, to the meat of what we were going to talk about? This is your show. You do it what you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe someday I'll start a uh, Oscar football podcast, but um, who knows? Well, the, you know, besides uh, the podcast and all our similarities and uh, you know, things that um, we talk about a lot um, on the phone. The one thing that I wanted to bring you on for particularly is talking about the evolution of the 
the hunting game or the hunting industry, however, uh, whatever we want to call it, over the past 25 years and some of the technological um, changes, some of the people changes, um, and some of the gear that's come out that's uh, really been a game changer, if it were. And uh, who better to talk about that than someone that's been grinding it out for the last 27 years? This week's episode is brought to you by the following partners. Hunt Hickory Creek. And new to Hunt Hickory Creek this year is their Central Kansas Lodge. Now, they run hunters from the end of October all the way through January, and they're situated right between Kavira and Cheyenne Bottoms, which combined can hold hundreds of thousands of birds at a time. Now, these guys work their tails off to not only put you on birds, but to show you a great time. So don't take your chance on something shady or unknown. Come check out Chase and a few of his guides, Cody and Scotty, in our Facebook group and pick their brains. And if you're going to hunt Kansas, hunt Hickory Creek. We're also brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries, the fastest growing, most affordable decoys on the market. With unmatched customer service, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, or DiveBombIndustries.com. You can also find Asher in our listeners group, and you can use the code FOULFRONT to get your 10% off and get yourself into a large, effective, and affordable and easy-to-set-up spread. It takes about a minute to set out a dozen. They take up no space in the garage or truck. So go get yourself twice the decoys with half the price and none of the hassle at Dive Bomb Industries. Now, with dove season approaching us and teal season, remember that they too are migratory game birds. Federal laws apply in all 50 states, and that includes gifting and tagging laws. Make sure to keep your birds separated and or tagged when transporting or storing them with other hunters' birds. This includes from field to home as well. Gifting in the field, although commonly done, is never legal under 50 CFR 2040, and it must be done at the donor or donee's personal abode. For other helpful hints and tips, check them out on Facebook or under ToeTags LLC on their website at ToeTagsLLC.com. Have fun, be safe, and keep it legal. We're also brought to you by Athlon Optics, which produces some of the finest shooting scopes and binoculars on the market. Their ED glass is top-notch and rivals the glass of binos three or four times their price. You'll be able to pick a goose out in a depression from half a mile away with these things. They're tough, sturdy, and then this is where Athlon Optics goes above and beyond with a lifetime warranty. This thing is, which is pretty critical for a waterfowl hunter, so head on over to Athlon Optics and get a top-of-the-line binocular system for the season at a fraction of the price and a no-worries guarantee. FreelanceHuntStats.com. I have to tell you, I'm really excited to start using the Freelance Hunt Stats system this year. So if you've never logged your hunts in the past, or I think it's something that you should really start doing this season, on FreelanceHuntStats.com. Not only can you look back and remember past hunts, but you can also use it to help you learn and improve with your future hunting successes. So don't forget to set up your account and start logging this season. We're also brought to you by DuckNuts. That's D-U-K-N-U-T-Z. Now, I've been fighting decoy rigging systems since I started. Wrapping, coiling, even Texas rigs. Talk about a pain in the butt. Now, I work hard, but at the end of the morning, it's time to go home. And DuckNuts allows you to rig your decoys uh, so that all you got to do is throw them in the bag. And with their friction system, it's too easy to just pull the line and pack up or throw them out. It also allows you to adjust for depth. So if you're tired of fighting decoy rigs, head on over to ducknuts.com and use your 10% off foul front discount code. Also brought to you by Gypsum Creek Retrievers, which is a full-service gun dog training facility in the heart of the Midwest. And they look to build eager, confident, and reliable field companions through a unique approach that you won't find at many other places. So go check out Gypsum Creek Retrievers on Facebook or Instagram, or you can hit up Evan, the owner, in our Facebook group. We're also brought to you by DuckTech. Increase your odds of success in the blind this year with the DuckTech mobile app. Three-time world champion duck caller Barney Califf teaches you how to make the most important sounds, what they mean to a duck, and when to use them. 
DuckTech is available to download in the App Store and Google Play. So with the season approaching, get the app today so you can put more ducks on the strap tomorrow. And uh, we're also brought to you by SRB Field Rests. No matter what, where, or how you hunt, SRB Field Rests will keep your shotgun, rifle, bow, or crossbow clean, safe, and ready in the field or on the range. Waterfowl hunters in the dry or muddy fields. Turkey or predator hunters in the pop-up blinds. Hey, if you're hunting deer, elk, or bear, or any other big game, hunting in box blinds, they've got you covered. They even have rests for bow fishermen. So head on over to srbfieldrests.com and use your foul front discount code to get 10% off. Okay, let's get back into the show. But before we do, I just want to tell you guys, use these companies. These people are bringing you the Foul Front podcast, and it's not just because they cut us a check. We have a lot of people out there that want to support the show, and these are the ones that we choose. These Behind all these companies are great people, really fun people to work with, and I hope you get to know them just as well as I do. And these products are great. So when in doubt, choose one of these companies, and we appreciate you supporting the people that are bringing you this show. All right, let's get back into the episode. I have seen a, a lot of changes in the business from the for, from the decoys to all the gadgets that go with it. Um, when I first got in the hunting business and started hunting, in, from the early 90s, from the time I started goose hunting and, and, and doing this as a, as a, for a job, the, the biggest thing I've seen well, the decoys, when we first started getting in it, they didn't have all the real good the silhouettes like they have now, you know. There wasn't a dive bomb industries. There were some silhouette companies out there, and they were fighting amongst themselves. And the, the first big change that we made is we, when we first started hunting, we used the G&H shell decoys, the mediums, and they had the larges, and I had the 747s. And we still use some of the 747s sometimes because we use them to hide under in the peanut fields when we dig in. Those are the huge but, ones. The, the big ones, yeah, and and we've still used those to this day. Some not that often, but when we do dig in in the peanuts, still we do use the big decoys. But that's that was the basis of our whole spread was using the the, the medium shells, and my spread might consist of ten dozen decoys back then. Hmm. I mean, you just didn't have the nobody had a big spread like that, and I was a poor boy when I first got in the hunting business. And I didn't have any money. And so everything that I was using was stuff that that I had that I used on my own. I didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to be in the goose hunting business. It kind of evolved from a place to get a hunt that I wouldn't even get to have no more because they were going to lease it out. But they would lease it to me and let me guide hunts on it. And that's how I got in the hunting business. And so one day the spread that I used with me and my buddies in college and some friends of mine all of a sudden become my money-making machine, you know. Yeah. That's how I made a living. And so I had maybe 10 dozen decoys. Well, I bought a dozen full-bodied decoys, and they were the original carry light ones. And I bought them at Cabela's. So long ago, I bought them COD. Can you imagine buying something COD where you pay the UPS guy? No, you have to explain that because I, I remember it when I was a kid, um, seeing it on the infomercials, but I think a lot of people don't. A lot of you know my listeners might not know what that is. Check or cash on delivery. So when the UPS guy would come to you, it would be cash on delivery. So if I bought $380 worth of decoys, I'd pay him $380 cash to the UPS guy. 
or I would pay it check on delivery. You know, like Cabela's, I could write them a check, but some places it was cash on delivery. So a UPS guy back in the 80s and 90s, he might pick up three, four $4,000 cash on him and carry it around. Oh, man, I bet they appreciate not having to do that anymore. Yeah, I, I don't even know if you can do anything on COD anymore. I, did, I hadn't even thought about it in years, but that's how some of my first decoys. <laughs> so I'd call up Cabela's, and as before debit cards, I didn't have a credit card. I was 21, 22, 23 years old. It's not like kids today that have credit cards because a debit card and stuff wasn't around then. Right. And But you'd either send them a check or – and that's how they did it. So then that was their big part of their delivery was COD. So anyways, I bought these decoys, these carry lights. That was my first full-body decoys I bought. And I put them in my spread. Well, I had a kid hunting with me from down south, and his job was – he worked for some rich doctors, and he, he – he took care of their deer lease, and they liked to goose hunt some. They had one field to goose hunt, and they bought five dozen real geese silhouettes. And he started hanging around me some. He goes, do you, do, can I go hunt with you in the morning? I'll bring the silhouettes. It's like, sure. Well, he brought these real geese silhouettes, and they were awesome. So I went and bought five dozen more because I'd never used real geese. I'd never used a silhouette before other than some old black and white ones we had painted ourselves, yeah. just homemade ones. And use these real geese silhouettes, and so I bought some. Well, the next year my business grew, and then the next year it really grew. And so I ordered a hundred dozen. At that time, that was a big, big order. Well, then I got a letter and a phone call from a guy named Jim Cripe who owned Outlaw Decoys. Now, I don't even know if you have you ever heard of Outlaws. No. That was the. They were in big competition with real geese at this time, and this had to be around 1995 or 96. And they, there was a big fight, and they had a big lawsuit over this. And they were doing photographic digital decoys, is what they were doing. And Jim, without law, was suing real geese because he said they stole the patent. Mm. And vice versa. So they had a big lawsuit over this. Well, he calls me at the house one day, and I'll never forget this. It was middle. It was in June sometime. My phone rings, and it was, "Hey, this is Jim Crop of Outlaws, and I wanted to let you know that." And at this time, I probably had I probably built up my spread. I probably had three hundred dozen because we were running four or five groups a day. And he goes, "I want to let you know that we're going to name you in this lawsuit against real geese, and you're going to have to turn all your decoys in." Well, that pissed me off. Oh, it made me a matter now. That would be like someone from Ford calling me up and telling me they were going to sue me for driving a Z seventy one pickup. Oh yeah, that's nuts. And I said, and and I we had some strong words about it and stuff. And I'm not one to, I, I'm pretty vocal about how I feel. And I told him he could kiss my ass basically, and that he told me the sheriff was going to come pick my decoys up. <laughs> well, he doesn't know my sheriff like I do. My sheriff don't yeah. want my decoys, and he damn sure ain't going to come pick the damn things up. So I laughed at him, told him he lost his damn mind. Well, not, about a week later, he's got a propaganda magazine. They used to send a magazine out. It was all outlaw stuff. They sold boats, blinds, decoys, all kinds of shit, motion kits. Sends out a magazine, and in his magazine, he's got testimonials from people that have ordered his stuff. And in black and white, it says, hey, thank you so much for getting my decoys out to me fast. Here's my order for a 100 dozen Decoys and Motion Kits, Jeff Stanfield, Stanfield, Hay, Texas. It's in his book. Ooh. 
where I called up and I was madder in hell. Oh, well, someone must have made a mistake. Yeah, hell yeah, they have. I never bought your stuff. And I had customers that would call me up. Oh, we're going to hunt with them outlaw silhouettes this year. Hell no. Yeah. But anyways, he lost his lawsuit to Real Geese. Real Geese won, and they kind of fizzled out. Yeah. But uh, but he he was a salesman. He was at the Memphis hunting show at the Memphis used to have a they used to have a waterfowl show and or Ducks Unlimited had a hunting show in Memphis, and we were there one year and it was me and Eli Haydale were set up next to each other and old Jim come walking by. He had this big old cowboy hat on. Some people do not look good in cowboy hats. Which is bottom line. I'm I'm one of them. He come walking up. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not one either that looks good in one. But he comes walking up with this cowboy hat on. He's like jeans. Tennis shoes and a cowboy hat just do not go together. Yeah. And walks up real big, kind of cocky. And I said, boy, Jim, I said, you need two of them cowboy hats. Why's that? So well, you need one to shit in, one to cover it up with. He turned and walked off, come back with a baseball cap on. But <laughs> that was, I, I don't even know whatever happened to the guy. He may not even be around anymore. But that was a big, big battle in the waterfowl for about six months was the real geese silhouette decoy deal now we've used dive bomb now and dive bomb is a whole lot better product than real geese is and is a big improvement so the silhouette game has really gotten better from today from back in the early 90s yeah just no comparison on it at all sure and the dive bomb is definitely the way to go um <clears throat> one of the other big changes that i've seen the a-frame blinds those didn't exist back then um, matter of fact, we always hunted in the middle of fields until we started using the A-frames and the panel blinds, and they're both really good products, and that has changed the game because guys don't have to lay down to shoot geese like they used to. They can, stand, they can sit up now. They're sitting on a bench. It's just so much comfortable, and it's been so much better on the birds because guys shoot better. Hmm. You take a guy sitting or a guy laying on his back, and you can shoot so much better sitting. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're not doing you're not doing a sit up to get up there and then, yeah, absolutely. And then when I first got in the hunting business, we could shoot lead, mm. and I went through the transition phase from the lead to steel, and boy, that was a big thing. What was that first year like? It was horrible, absolutely horrible. So many dead geese flew off. You'd shoot a goose three times um, at fifteen twenty yards, and you just pop the piss out of them. Just poof, poof, poof. And they'd fly off, and you know they're going to die. And they'd fly off, and you know you never see them. They might, I don't know if they fly back to the water. You know, you just you injured so many birds. The shot was horrible, and that was the birth of tungsten and bismuth and stuff. And bismuth was the first big company. Yeah, and those guys, those guys did a lot of testing with us on shooting their product in the in the early in the mid nineties, and and so we did a lot of ton, a lot of bismuth shooting and. It was a really, it was a good, it was a good product, but it was just so expensive. That's the, yeah, that's the thing. And for the steel shot that we're shooting now, you know, I, I don't shoot any tungsten or bismuth or any other sort of non-toxic. I just shoot the, the steel, uh, you know, usually federal um, or even that field and stream stuff that they sell over at Dick's. I, I for some reason, I love that stuff coming out of my Browning. But um, what's your opinion or take on the steel today now? Like today's steel's great. There's no problem at all with it. You go buy a box of dry lock, I believe what it's called. Mm -hmm. Just as good. A, it's, it, it, you're shooting not much different than the lead we shot back in the day. I mean, it's not as deadly as the lead was, but they've got the speeds up so much now on it, you know? Oh yeah. Absolutely. So it, it works so much better. 
but back then it was horrible. Yeah, I imagine that first year they were just swapping the lead out for steel. Uh, just oh, like, it was oh, bad. Just run the steel instead, and uh, didn't didn't do any to ringing speeds up or anything like that. So I could tell when in a group because back then I guided all the time still, and you could, you you'd guide. I'd be guiding, and we sit behind our hunters. Our hunters are in the line behind us, and we sit in the middle back behind you know five yards behind them and so you can overview and see everything yeah and during doing that we call you know birds break in and we're shooting birds at 10 to 15 yards we're not pass shooting we're shooting in the in your face type shooting is kind of hunting we do yeah and they would shoot and you could see if a guy was shooting lead and he wasn't supposed to be if a guy was just crushing the birds i'd be like i bet that boy's not shooting steel and I'd tell them they'd sign a waiver, and if the game wouldn't come, that's on them, not me. But and I would, I, you know, before we'd hunt, guys can't shoot lead shot, but you could damn sure tell when someone was still shooting lead. Yeah, no doubt about it. Because they'd just be the birds just, crumpling in his lane. Oh yeah. yeah, just just like you know, they'd shoot them, shoot their beaks off, as old Ron Winnicky used to say. Mm-hmm. And they, and they would, and would make it made a big difference. So the the evolution of shells and ammunition has changed. The same with guns. I I don't know I don't know what year Benelli come into existence, but when I first got in business, nobody was shooting no Benellis then. I never I never saw a gun with a sticker on it. <laughs> yeah, what's your what's your thoughts on the guns with the stickers on them? I don't know why do they drive their trucks and put NASCAR stickers all over them. I think it looks stupid. I mean, it's just a young guy's deal. And as you get older, and, and I look back now at stuff I did when I was young that probably the old timers looked at me like I was an idiot on. The same way. I just I don't understand it. But I, I don't I don't know why the young people don't respect a beautiful old gun. I shoot a Browning over under. I've shoot I've shot a over under since I got in the hunting business. That yeah. And my gun is not a pigeon grade gun. My gun is yeah. a using a gun I've used. I've had to row a boat with it. I've got dowel rods in the the stock where I've shot them off. It shoots three and a halves. I don't shoot three and a halves no more through it. But it's a it's Parkerized Browning over under. I took a seventeen hundred dollars shotgun and made it worth about three hundred dollars, but it works. <laughs> it doesn't shine, and it, it. But it was a tool of mine too. But yeah, I don't understand why kids don't appreciate stuff like that and want to shoot these guns. That I, I'm not. A, I'm not. A, I shoot that over under, so I'm not a fan of shooting three shells. Anyways, I mean, you know, that's actually I'm switching over to that this this year. Uh, we had a podcast episode talking about. Uh, selecting a you know a waterfowl gun and the people told me oh you won't do it <laughs> you won't shoot a I said well people have been shooting double barrels at birds for a long freaking time gentlemen like um, it's not a new thing I mean it's it's not standard anymore with the with the plastic guns and and all that stuff just I think I think a lot of that comes from that is like looks cutting edge and cool. And so everybody wants to have the you know cutting edge space age technology stuff, um, but yeah, I'm the same. Um, I I appreciate a, a good looking old uh, something that I could pass down to my kid. Yeah, I, I do not want to shoot a gun that's not. I mean, I'll shoot whatever I had to, but I'll, if my choice is to shoot the older guns, I like them. I like an over and under, and I don't ever. I don't. I've shot an over and under so long that I'm used to having two shells. Yeah, like I told Andy the other day, we talked about this. If you can kill them in the first two shells, you don't have to shoot three every time. Yeah, I've never. Uh, I've. I think I shot one triple. 
<laughs> so, um, and I know for dang sure that uh, there's been some times where the goal was to get all three shells out, not to shoot two birds. I, you know what I mean? And that's, yeah. <laughs> it was thinking like, oh, damn, you know. Yeah, it's a mindset thing because once you shoot two shells all the time, you don't ever miss having that third shell. Right. I don't right. ever think about it, but I'll have someone that shoots two, that shoots an automatic or whatever they shoot, and they yeah. shoot it. And they're like, you know, they're like, oh, I wish I had the third shell. Most times on a flock of birds, if you guide the hunt or you, you're hunting with some guys and you bring in 15 birds and there's six guys shooting, you're only going to shoot six birds anyways. I don't care if you got a group of 12 guys or you got a group of four guys. People average about one bird per flock. Yeah. And it always seems, I think, that there's something about it you can talk about. Okay, you shoot. This is your lane. This is your lane. This is your lane. But when there's a group of birds coming in, there's always one or two or two or three birds that, for whatever reason, those birds are the most visually appealing targets, and everybody shoots those two, you know, those two or three birds. Well, in West Texas and southern Oklahoma, I can tell you what it is. It's a snow goose. We can have a hundred birds do it. Come in the spread, the birds that fly away are the birds that land on the ground always. Nobody ever shoots the birds that land in the decoys. And I don't mean shoot them in the decoys. I mean, as soon as they jump up, shoot them. They don't ever mow them birds down. They're huh. shooting at the 50-yard birds that are three stories high that are not, that are, that are, that are the back end of the flock. But the birds right up front never get shot at that land. But if a white goose is in the spread, I don't care where it is. That's the bird that's going to get hammered because everybody shoots at the wild bird. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I see it every day during hunting season. There's a white bird. Eight guys will shoot the same white bird. They won't shoot the birds in front of them. That's interesting. Because they don't shoot for me snow geese. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, I always just laugh when everybody, I just hear, bop, 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 you know, and the whole group, and there's one bird that just, that poor bird, and I'm like, right, hey guys, thanks for thanks for shooting in your lanes. Like, had you know, twelve birds come in, man, we hammered two of them. Like, it always just makes me laugh. Yeah, it's, it's like that every day. You see the same thing. <laughs> but the birds that land in the spread never get shot. I'll tell you some other changes I've seen. And me and Scott Trinan talked about this. I think the biggest change has been the motion. Mm-hmm. Scott says it's the calling. The decoys are last on that list, even though we've transitioned from the crappy silhouettes to the real good dive bomb silhouette. The the, the decoy deal, it, it hasn't changed because a goose decoy looks like a goose decoy and a duck decoy looks like a duck decoy from the 1950s. If you pick up a sporting goods calendar from the 50s and you could buy duck decoys, or if you went back to 1912 where they were hand carving their decoys, it still looks like a decoy. Right. I mean, so a decoy hasn't changed at all other than some don't – the goose decoys, some don't shine as much as they used to, and the silhouettes have definitely changed. But still a goose decoy. But back then, there wasn't no motion decoys. There wasn't any mojos. There wasn't any sort of flag. And a flag is the – I think Randy Bartz had the greatest thing ever in the flag, and he invented it. And I bought my first flag out of a Caduceans in 1996. And I'd seen them advertised before, 
but I'd never seen anybody use one. And I remember I was on a hunt and it was mid morning and I'm saying mid morning was eight to nine o'clock, the first original flight. And we hadn't shot a limit of birds yet. And the birds were not that interested. They were going to feel behind me. And it was a bluebird day, no wind. And I told a buddy of mine, I said, Oh, about this flag, it's in my bag. So I pulled it out and he goes, What is it? I said, I have no idea. And I put together I didn't even know what it was. I'd look at the directions on that and put one together. And I get it put together and I'm like, shit, you know, I'm looking at it, I'm like, uh, they say this works. And so sure enough, goose is flying about 100 yards away, not interested. And I hit that flag, and that damn thing locked up its wings and and sucked right to that flag. It's like a magic wand. We shot that bird. little group of birds come off after that, and I hit that. I started flagging, and that damn them birds locked in. And I'd stop flagging, and they'd kind of start kind of moving their wings. I'd hit that flag, and they'd lock in again. And I could pull those birds over, and, and so... I was the first person in my area to shoot to use a flag. Nobody had them. I mean, that was it. And that first year, I was the only person I know that even had one. Now, after that, it became more and more popular. And then the next year, Randy come and hunted with me. And then Mike Ducard, who had illusion goose calls, and Randy sent me a flag kit a bag that's a. It's a gun case, and it says Flag Man Pro Staff. It's got my name on it, and you see, it's a pretty neat deal from way back. But that, to me, that flag was one of the most influential parts of the hunting today more than anything else. Now, Scott says it's calls. Calls have definitely gotten better. I agree on that. But I still, a lot of days, you can put that call up, and you need a flag. Yeah. And Mojo's same way. I have a kid named Dave Reese that worked for me out of Minnesota, out of Rochester area. And he's work, he'd worked for me for a year or two. And he comes back and he said, man, I got something to show you. He said, man, ducks go crazy over this thing. He showed it to me, and I laughed. I thought, there is no way in hell that that's going to make ducks come in. I mean, it just don't even look right. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and the rest is history. That there's The mojo has killed more as cause more ducks to die than anything else in history, I bet. Yeah. I wonder, I want, you know, you know, makes me think what's the next thing. The flock of flickers that Mojo has coming out right now is going to be change a lot of it. I've, I've heard, are, are you talking about the, like the ones that they already have out? Yes. That, and they've got a, they've got an amazing, the, the, the way they're set up in that beacon a lot they make. I think it's going to change the goose hunting because there's not a motion deal for a goose right now. There's the flappers or whatever, but there's not. Yeah, they don't there's work. Not the, the, that flash, I guess. Yeah, there's you, geese are different. They, their wing beats are slower or something. But if you have a mojo up in your field spread, you, you're not going to shoot no geese. Yeah. You know they don't. You know, hell, you look at the damn snow goose sets now, and these guys got these vortexes, and it looks like a freaking carnival out there with all this shit going on. <laughs> Yeah, spinning and flipping and stuff, and it works for the snow geese. But the Canada geese, I've yet to find a motion deal. Now, wind socks work great. You know, you gotta have some motion in your spread, but there's no mojo type device that I've seen for Canada geese that works yet. But I think this flock of flicker thing they've got will, because if you look at geese from way off, and I spend a lot of time scouting, so. And I don't mean scouting like everybody else does, driving the fields. I mean, I'm in the morning while my guys are hunting. I'm out looking for birds, and I watch birds a lot. 
I spend hours a day in the in the wintertime watching with binoculars. And I'm watching these birds, and those birds have a motion that's a black and white motion when they're walking, and that's all you see is a black and white a blur all the time from spreads, and this new Mojo deal recreates that. Interesting. And I think I think it's going to really be a big game changer. And I may be wrong. I hadn't seen them in the field. I've just seen you know video know and stuff. The flock of flickers, at least the ones I think I'm, I think we're thinking of the same thing. The little discs with the upright wings, yes. kind of. Uh, I know around. people people um, curse them a lot um, in the in the duck marsh, uh, for sure. Just because I guess they don't. Um, I don't know. They said that they've just seen more problems with them than anything. But I'd, I've never personally hunted over one, and I, I almost—they're like ninety-nine bucks—and I almost did it because I've had so many people tell me something don't work, and then I go ahead and I'm stubborn, Ben, and I go do it, and I say, "Oh, I don't know what the heck you're talking about," you know. Well, I'm going to tell you that what, what what I don't know for sure what the plan is on it. I don't know if they're wanting you to just put 10 of them out or three or four, but from what I understand on the goose spread is, is you put multiple ones out and they delay. One comes on for a little bit and goes off. This one comes on for a little bit and comes on. And I think that's a really a neat concept yeah, yeah. for field goose decoys. I really do. And, and that the, the motion and the way it looks like motion it will attract the birds. And it may not work because I've seen a lot of stuff on the market that doesn't work. I think it's going to work. But like I said, I haven't yet, I've yet to see them in the field. And I don't know anybody that's hunted on them because goose season hasn't opened yet. Yeah. And what works in Canada doesn't always mean it's going to work everywhere else because they're shooting with, you know, right out of the eggs. Right, right. So it's not a real true test. A true test is going to be January 15th. Yeah, yeah. This year. January yeah, January fifteenth, mid Texas, Oklahoma, like Yes. When you when when the birds have been hammered all year. That's yeah. another huge change in the hunting business in the hunting world that I see compared to back when I started. Back when I got in the hunting business, I was one of those kids that grew up reading Ducks Unlimited magazine. I loved it. Just I and I used to read in the back of all the outfitters and I used to dream about going to get the hunt on them places. There was a guy back then that sold hunts on the seacoast, and then there was a guy that had swan hunts on the Pimlico coast in North Carolina, and then there was a, a guy in the Upper Texas Panhandle, and they were up in business. They were in business up to about ten years ago, and I would see their ads in there, and I thought, man, one day I'm going to go on one of them hunts and do that. Never thinking that I would be doing the same thing, but there was no outfitters hardly when I when I first started outfitting in West Texas, there was. Uh, two guys hunting up around Amarillo. Nobody hunted in Lubbock. Shit, there's 35 outfitters in Lubbock now. Uh, in Oklahoma, there wasn't nobody selling goose hunts in Oklahoma that I know about. I'm sure there was a, a you know some guy somewhere hunted some here and there, but just running a big operation. Yeah. But there was no big operations in Kansas. There was a few places in Canada you could go. So when we started hunting our birds around Knox City in in November. And, and still to this day, we shoot a lot of birds in November. We got a we get a bunch of early birds for some reason that come to Knox City. We'll have more birds in Knox City than they will in Great Bend, Kansas, at the two refuges, November fifteenth. Usually, it's unless we've had a really a big, big cold, cold Arctic push. 
And but those birds hadn't been hunted much at all. Now, early November, you see birds, you'll see specks, and you can tell a bird's been hunted a lot of them wings are, you know, he's got stuff missing where he's been shot at and mm-hmm. stuff. But people are starting to hunt now, September first. And there's a ton of people hunting starting tomorrow in Canada. And the pressure on the geese and ducks is so much more than it used to be. And some of that is because waterfowl hunting is cheaper than deer hunting, I think. And I think Phil Robertson had a lot to do with it because he got more people excited about it. But the Internet and Facebook have changed it because a group of guys in southern Louisiana have talked about going to North Dakota or South Dakota or to Canada to hunt early in the year in September and October. They really didn't know who to go with. Well, now you get on there and you can find 50 people guiding in in southern Saskatchewan. Yeah, and you can talk to them that second. You can literally just shoot them a message and they'll hit you back within a minute. Yes, and you didn't have to wait for them to call you back or it might be two days. And, and you didn't have to – or if you got some buddies and you own your own stuff, and not a lot of people have their own goose rigs. It's not like duck hunting. Duck hunting's really inexpensive if you really just want to duck hunt on your own. You can find a pond to hunt or public water somewhere, you need some waders, a dozen duck decoys, and you can hunt. So for less than $500, you can have a spread. Well, you can't goose hunt for $500. Yeah, exactly. But these guys got these rigs of of goose decoys, and they all, you know, there's five or six buddies. They chip in, they buy a trailer, and they buy their stuff, and they hook up their truck, and they go to Canada somewhere, and they get on the Internet and Facebook, and they find a place that's holding some birds or, and, and they do it that way. And so it's real common yeah. now. Or back 20 years ago, that was very unusual. Well, you know, you're talking about, you know, not being able to own a, you know, goose. Not a lot of people have goose rigs. And I, you know, it was something I'd been dreaming about for, you know, several years, ever since I started waterfowl hunting um, or getting back in, getting heavy into it, I should say. And so I had accumulated um, close to, you know, 100 goose decoys um and uh it wasn't until i went to move uh this last time from oklahoma up to kansas i went and i threw all of them in the back of my pickup and i didn't have enough room and i said i can't get any i can't get a bigger spread than this the heck am i gonna do you know with all this and then uh that's when we got to seeing like the silhouettes got okay let's check this out and then got to talking to asher from dive bomb industries and uh because people don't realize okay go buy yourself 10 dozen full body avian x you ain't throwing that in the back of your pickup truck no you now you gotta go buy now you gotta go buy a trailer oh you don't want someone to steal that crap because it's expensive you don't want it to be sitting out in the weather all day or all year round when you're not using it you gotta buy an enclosed trailer or go buy somewhere to park your your trailer and uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> that it can all add up pretty dang quick and then time you know Ugh. if you've got an enclosed trailer full of decoys I, I call it we'll call it a canada rig which is basically one of our enclosed trailers and you put all your your decoys in there and you're running you got your full bodies you've got silhouettes you've got your layout blinds you've got your duck decoys, field duck decoys, you got your couple of mojos, you got blankets to hide under if you need to hide under that. We, we, a spread that we could have in a trailer that we could run anywhere with everything we need in it. You're going to have about $15,000 tied up per trailer. Yeah. Yep. And that's the, and not, and so 
back then and still today, there's not a lot of guys that are going to do it. I know a lot of guys that hunt on their own that they five or six friends split up and they've built up a trailer by the, you know, over a couple of years time. But yeah, but you're just one, you know, my wife hates your wife away from that going away. Oh, you know? women, women and their drama. It don't matter if it's kids showing pigs. It don't matter if it's little league, high school football hunting. If you took women and drama out of stuff, we'll be a, little, we'll be a lot easier sometimes. Gosh, not all women, not all. No, women. no, 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 not all. I'm not knocking all <laughs> women, but that's the, every group of guys has got that one wife. that's a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Every group of guys that's listening to this is saying, yep, that's Earl's wife. But it is true. Oh, yeah. Everyone, I mean, it's just the way it is. There's always one woman that's going to cause drama in the deal. But 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 you get back to the hunting stuff. You got this this trailer. and and But that wasn't normal back a long time ago. 20 years ago, there were very few of those trailers around. But if a guy wants to go duck hunting, he can get into duck hunting. It's a lot cheaper. So now the, the lakes and stuff are getting more duckers, and we need more hunters. Oh, yeah. Now, I wasn't around in the 50s and 60s, but... I'm assuming there was a whole lot more duck hunters then than there is now. Yeah. These yeah, that's what the numbers that's in. what the numbers say at least. So, yes. you know, one and other Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, no, no. Continue. I was going to I was going to ask you about the internet and whatnot, but A- access to hunting places today with Go Devil Motors and Airboats mm-hmm. and all that stuff has made places you know, we talked about this with Asher and Arkansas hunting, that flooded timber. People can go to places now they used to not be able to go to. Right. And so that's changed the game, too, because these young kids jump in Daddy's airboat, and they go, and they can get in any hole they want to hunt on anymore, where before it was a lot of work, and those places, those ducks had places to rest where nobody jacked with them. Right. But everything is accessible now. Yeah. You talk is- about the Internet? Yeah, which is an excellent transition to, you know, information uh, being readily accessible at all times. How did you guys used to, I mean, what'd you, how'd you guys run this thing before cell phones, before the internet, you know? Well, we'll, we'll go to internet first. Okay. The internet, when I, when I first got in business, the internet had just really gotten going. And so much that my dad who is not technologically savvy by any means at all, but he was the first person I knew that had an email. And I was sending out my brochures one day. Back then, what I would do, and it was a big cost too back then, back in the mid-90s was making brochures. So you had to design this glossy brochure, and you'd put pictures on it and all this stuff. Well, I would take that brochure, someone would call me up, or send me a letter requesting a brochure. That wasn't even that wasn't unusual. And I would have to go to fill out an envelope, put that brochure in it, go to the post office and mail it to them. I mailed them out every day. Some days it'd be one, some days it'd be fifty. I'd mail out brochures every single day. And I used to print up I used to have ten, fifteen thousand brochures made up every year. And they weren't cheap back then. There wasn't no goprint.com. You had yeah. to go down to a printing company and spend five to ten thousand dollars a year on brochures part of your business cost and stamps mm-hmm. well i remember my dad told me one day he said hey, a couple of years from now you won't even send brochures you'll do it all by email i'm thinking you've lost your damn mind ain't nobody gonna do that email stuff well he was on to something <laughs> yeah. and once we started using brochures or started doing emails 
I'd get email caught. You know, you, then you start putting your email address on your brochure. Right. And eventually you get where we are now that we don't even do brochures at all. I'll never do another brochure. Even when I go to hunting shows, I'll just have a little piece of paper I can hand out or something. But right. <clears throat> you don't do brochures no more. You don't mail nobody anything. <clears throat> Everything is done by email. So emails changed that part of the game. And then the websites, that really changed the whole game. And websites have just about put hunting shows out of business. When <clears throat> I used to, when I first was really getting going in, in in the 90s, we would go to a hunting show. And when you went to a hunting show, that was the all business was done there. I don't care if you sold deer feeders, deer stands, decoys. If you were in the hunting industry, you had a booth at a hunting show. Right. And you planned on doing most of your business there. So I would do my have my booth set up, and I had a TV, and a big old TV weighed 500 freaking pounds in. And my booth set up where that TV went up there, and I had video. And that sold most of my hunts. We had really good video because we had really good hunting. And not everybody was getting to see video of geese being shot right in their face. But we would show that video, and these people walked by, and they'd book a hunt then. Or they'd get your number, and they'd call you the next day or a couple of days later. But you'd, you would sell 60 to 70% of all your hunts all year on a, in a weekend in Fort Worth is where we did ours at. Big hunting show. Everybody went there. Well, Bass Pro and Cabela's come out. Instead of just being in Nebraska and in Springfield, Missouri, they started building them in every town in the country. Well, that changed hunting shows because a lot of people, instead of buying their product straight off of the people that were making the product, then they started buying from Bass Pro and Cabela's. So that that was a thinning out of the of the hunting shows. Then the next thing that happened was they went to uh, websites. So if you wanted to go buy a duck hunt in Maine to be shoot sea ducks, you didn't have to go to a hunting show hoping someone from there was selling it. You could just get on the Internet and look it up and find somebody. Hmm. And it's it's real simple. So that has made it so easy for guys that a guy's got grandma's farming hunts and he has four good hunts a year on it. Well, he's thinking, shit, I'm going to get in the hunting business. So he starts advertising selling hunts on it. Well, a lot of people aren't going to get on those four good days, but some people might. And then the next year he does more and more of it. And so I think the internet has helped the hunting business tremendously, but it's also hurt it because it's, it's taken away having any skin in the game, any experience, because you can just put a couple of pictures up and you have one good hunt a year, two good hunts a year, and you sell hunts to these people knowing they're never going to have that kind of hunt. So it's sure. been, it the hurdles been, are lower. Uh, yeah, or the yeah. barrier to entrance is lower, but the um, I think the scratching and clawing up to the top probably still just as hard today. Because uh, if you... If your if your barrier to entrance is low, you, know, you have a long uphill. You know you're, you're getting into a game that you didn't know that you were getting into. I think. And there's a lot of them do it. Yeah, they see that in Lubbock, Texas, a lot. I'm sure it's other places. I'm just familiar with Lubbock. But Lubbock has got a real bad problem with college kids getting becoming outfitters. And I don't care what you do. I was in college when I started my business. Good for you. If that's what you want to do. That's your dreams. But these kids go out there. And they've either hunted with an outfitter out there or somewhere else, and then they're on their own, and they're like, "Hey, Dad, buy me fifty dozen decoys. I'm going to get in this, you know, I'm going to get in the guiding business while I'm going to school." And they they go buy them some decoys and stuff, and then they they're going hunting on places they shouldn't. They have a lot of trespassing problems out there, but these guys build them a website 
I saw one yesterday. This kid brand new was going to college has this brand new website. And kid's 19 years old, and he's selling hunts. And his website is up there with my website and everybody else's website. It's been doing it for 25 to 30 years or whatever you're doing it at. But to JoJo in Dallas that's never done it before, he don't know. Sure. It's just a website, and, and a guy's a hunting guy just like everybody else is. So it's 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 really made it too easy to be taking people's money hunting for some guys. Yeah, and not to say that there's not some 19-year-old kid out there that's not just a a good, hard-working guy that's you know going to put you on birds or anything like that. But um, you know, same with a you know 55-year-old guy, right, Jeff? Um, that's right. Uh, but uh, yeah, you just you kind of have to. You don't know what you're getting until you go and you call clients or you talk that's, to. That's somebody. right. A lot of these guys don't have any of those. Yeah. But with today's marketing and stuff, and the way the internet is, you don't have to always. And that's not saying that kid's not going to be the greatest thing since Foss Brady, maybe. I don't know. But I just I see it every year out there, and I don't have to deal with it in the areas that we hunt on as much. But I have some friends in the Lubbock area, and I hear about it every day during hunting season. I mean, setting up on the fence rows by their fields. They'll go to a cotton farmer and say, hey, we'll pay to hunt on here, and they'll lay up in the cotton next to a cornfield where the birds are at and pass shoot birds coming into your field. Hmm. <clears throat> and I've been there before, and there ain't nothing piss you off more than that shit happening. Yeah. Especially when them people are getting paid just like you are, and they're getting paid by people to lay in cotton. And we talked about the cell phones. That, that's changed because of instant gratification. If If I call you or I text you, I expect to have a response in 10 to 15 minutes like everybody does. Yeah. Or, or, or quicker. It's just the way we're wired now. Yeah. Back when I first got in the hunting business, I'd come into the office and I'd check machines. I might have one message. I might have 15 messages. I call them people back and they're the office and the secretary. I'm tell you one thing. If you're a hunting outfitter, you can get by a secretary so fast because you can call someone up and they can say, hey, this is so-and-so. Well, they're busy right now. You say you're a hunting outfitter, boy, they'll get you right in usually. Hmm. Big priority with a guy taking, you know, with the guy looking for a hunt. But you leave a message, and someone might gonna call you back for three or four hours, and that was normal. Yeah. Well, nowadays we expect someone to email us back, or call us back, or text us back immediately. So that part changed. But I used to and, and communicate with your guides. I can keep up with all the hunts going on right now by texting. Before I used to have to talk to them on the phone, and now it's texting. It's so much easier. But I can. You know, I can keep up with the hunt going on the whole time. Good, bad. You know, this guy's an asshole. That guy's a great guy. Whatever's going on in the spread, I can know about all the time I'm updated. And my guys text me back and forth because they know that's my pet peeve. I like to know what's going on. Yeah. What did you, but back how did you do day, it before cell phones? I, used, I had radios. Yeah. And I didn't have those little radios, those Motorola radios they sell now for $69 that you can buy at Walmart. That's yep. two of them. I had to buy the heavy, they were about $250 a piece, and and I had chargers. And at the lodge, I had about eight radios, and they had a closet, and they were in there charged up, and every guide had to get a radio in the morning. Bring your radio in, plug it in at night, take it out in the morning, switch charged up. I'd drive down the road, and I'd pull up the spread, and I'd get on there like a walkie-talkie, and I could talk to them. 
Yeah. And these are the ones with like repeaters that they have at the the co ops and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I didn't have I didn't ever go that far. That okay. was I was gonna do that and put a base in and have one at my office and at my house so I could keep up with them. But what this one was was just had a about a they say three mile range, which means about three quarters of a mile. Yeah. And I I could pull up to this you know, the spread and I could get an idea of what was going on. And one time I'd even make the guy stand up with hand signals and kind of, you know, <laughs> two hands up in the air means we're having a good hunt. I just like to know what's going on. Right. Hey, I'm not going to change nothing. There's nothing I can do to change it. But I like to know what's going on. If we've got four groups out and all four groups have had good hunts, I go down and do my scouting for the day. I might drive back, watch them for a little bit. Then I'd go to the office and get ready for everybody coming in when the hunts were over and checking out and all that stuff. But with a text, if you've got an issue or a problem, you don't have to wait till someone gets in to tell you, hey, we've got a problem. Right. You know, you know exactly, hey, we got this guy coming in, uh, whatever the deal is. I had, I'll tell you the difference is, is not having a phone. I had a client of mine, we were hunting up on the, the this big ranch it's called the Spike Box. It's big wheat fields, three, four, five thousand acre wheat fields. Um, one, the biggest wheat field they got up there, 6,500 acres of wheat, which would be 10 miles. Mm. And I get a call at the house about 7.15 in the morning. I'm just fixing to leave. And I used to take my kids to school in the morning. Then I would make my rounds. So I'm fixing to leave, take them to school, and then I go check on my hunters. Phone rings. It's out, out of town number. Hello, how can I? No. Hey, this is so-and-so. I'm a secretary for this gentleman. He's on a hunt with you. I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, well, his father passed away, and I need to you get a hold of him. I was like, okay. So I had to drive up in the wheat country, mm. and, and I got out there as they were coming out of the spread. They were coming out of the hunt. They were done. They were done, shot out real early. I met him on the road, and I had to tell him his father had passed away. You know, you need the emergency. You need to go. Your father passed away. Whatever, I don't remember the exact conversation, but yeah, I couldn't just call on a cell phone like you could do nowadays. Yeah, and That's, so there's a the there's an inter, interpersonal, um, you know, communication connection that's definitely um, not there anymore. Uh, <laughs> you know, no, and, and to, so and, and so I really enjoyed that part of, of the, or not enjoyed that part. I mean, the, the having a phone now has made things a whole lot, a whole lot easier. Yeah, for and sure. so uh, for sure, we 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 need to do more. We 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 need to fix some of the things with the cell phones. We've got it's not good for us in a lot of ways, but it sure is a handy tool to have when we have emergencies. Yeah, exactly. You know, no one likes to see a kid or or a guy or gal just glued to their phone all day. Um, and no, that's I'll, the young generations. I'll catch myself. Um, if I'm, you know, doing something, doing some work or something, and I've just been like on the phone, I'll look up and I'll like look around at my surroundings and be like, "How the hell did I get in the kitchen?" Yes, um, that's right. <laughs> like one of those things where I'm just like, you know, working, 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 you know, returning phone calls, returning text messages, emails, um, and it's become kind of like you know an integral part of my business, and I, and I just like, man, I gotta stop, <laughs> look up, you know. Yeah, you- you can't watch TV and be a cell phone because you miss half the show you're watching. Yeah, yeah. And it's your 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 mind's in the, in that phone, but in the hunting deal, I see a lot. Now I see a lot of that crap going on too, where 
you got guys that are on their phones the whole time they're hunting. People don't even stop and enjoy their hunt. Oh. You can look down a spread of guys in a field, and they're all on the phone, every one of them. They're laying in a duck spread or a duck blind, a pit blind, don't matter where you're at, and you got guys on their phones the whole time. That's, yeah. Texting, Facebooking, doing this, doing that, doing this. We cannot do anything without the damn phone. Yeah. Now, I'm as guilty as everybody else is. Oh, yeah. I don't care if you watch a sporting event, whatever you do, a phone is taking up everybody's attention piece. We uh, we went to the and vineyard. I miss the days when that wasn't happening. We went to the vineyard last week, weekend, I should say. We don't conversate no more. You go to a restaurant and you see a family. Oh, yeah. And everybody's sitting on a phone. Yeah. We uh, we went to the vineyard last weekend, me and my wife. And um, we got about halfway down the road. And I, t- I said, oh, damn, babe, I, I left my cell phone at the house. And she's like, oh, okay, well, turn around and go get it. I said, no, no, I'm good. Um, and, man, I had a relaxing three hours. Just looking at, you know, looking out at the, <laughs> everything, you know, enjoying enjoying life, enjoying wife, enjoying the kid, you know. It was nice. Yeah, I mean, we just, we don't need phones like that. Yeah, or at least getting away from them for a couple hours a day. So, but Yeah. Well, well, I guess I guess the last thing we ought to talk about is what you know. What's the changes um, in hunters that you've seen? Well, the phone deal is one big issue. Guys are back back then. People hunted. It was about the hunt and visiting with your friends and your loved ones and being there when your kids or your dad and the sun rises up. And yeah, we've lost sight of that because it's all about. Instant gratification, just like the phones with these limits. Everything's about limit. Back then, everybody wanted to shoot a limit. Everybody does. I mean, that's just the name game. If you can shoot 30 birds, everybody wants to shoot 30 birds. You can shoot 10, you want to shoot 10. I mean, and it's that, it's always been that way. But today, it's more stressed on your on the success of how much you kill as much to being on the hunt. Yeah. I see the old-timer guys that I hunt with. And and I, you can hunt a group of six guys that are 50 or 60 years old that have been hunting together for 30, 40 years or five years or two years. And they enjoy being around each other and the camaraderie and the stories and, you know, their generation talking about their generation stuff. And I see those guys and they're enjoying it and loving it more. And, and it means something more to them than a group of kids that I have that are college kids that hunt. And it's all about taking pictures, putting them on Instagram, and shooting a limit of birds. That there's more respect for hunting from the older gentlemen than there are the young gentlemen. And I also have noticed that the group of 60 years old and older guys don't have their phones out. Yeah. You know, unless a guy gets a call for business, their phones don't even come out. Most of them keep their phones in the truck. Oh, yeah. And... I'll have a guy come up that's 60 years old and he'll say, Hey, can you take a picture with my phone for us? And you get the picture. I go, yeah, it would, right. you know, what's the deal? Hell, I don't even have a code on it or shit. I don't know. Let me see if I can figure it out. And I have to give it to somebody else to show them how to use it to take a picture. But there, there, theirs is all about the hunt. The same as it was in 1972 when they hunted together where the kid that's hunting has Instagrammed the whole hunt <laughs> so everybody in his fraternity or that he works with knows everything that's happened to him since 5.15 when he left from breakfast this morning. Right. And he's more, 
Yeah, that's he's more caught up in his digital friends and world than he is the actual world he's living in. Yeah, you know, and then you need to talk about content production and stuff like that, and everybody kind of, you know, with the cell phones, kind of runs their own little hunting show, you know, on their Instagram or their Snapchat yes. or whatever, and and I know that that's you know I'm really excited to like you know be like have this podcast and have people that are like interested in in hearing the stuff that I'm putting out um but I think that on a you know I like taking pictures and, and videos of of you know ducks and geese and but the one part I think that I will miss and I I'm probably still going to do this but um just eh, leaving everything back at the truck and getting out there and just me and the dog or me and my buddy and just enjoying the coffee and not you know even though it's People will tell me, hey, that's a missed opportunity. You always got to have that camera. You always got to have that recorder out there with you because, you know, you have a responsibility and a duty now to, um, you know, produce content for, you know, your listeners and, and people like that. Also, a, a, you know, a certain part of me that's just like, well, I have to be a little selfish sometimes and really remember, you know, why I started the podcast. And that's because I want other people to enjoy their time out there in the blind away from all these other distractors. The hunting business I got in because I was a passion for hunting. It was my true love in the world. I loved waterfowl hunting. I love listening to the sounds of them. Um, if I go by a wildlife refuge today somewhere up north where there's a bunch of birds still, in the middle of summer I'll stop and look at them. I just... If I'm at a park and there's geese there, I'm looking for bands on their legs yep. just because that's me. And most of us that do it have that same caught-up deal. But when you make it your job, I'm lucky that it still isn't my job. I still love to watch and see them, and I appreciate them more and more. But the young guys, it's all about – and it's not all the young guys. There's some really good young guys out there. But a lot of these younger kids that are coming up at hunt, it's – it's it's a sideline or a side note to their Instagram or whatever it is to shoot something just so they can put a picture of it. I don't know that they, if they respect and love the things the way that – I don't know if they appreciate mm. the game the way we do. And they may. Some of them do, I know. It's not all of them. There's a lot of great young guys that really – but right. But so many of the young kids that hunt with us today – don't really care about the hunting and stuff. Yeah. They're going because dad made them. Oh, of course. They're going to do it. By God, they're going to show it. Yeah, and we it, it might sound like we're being negative towards the younger generation, but it's it's not that we're not celebrating. The reason that we're not you know sitting here celebrating all the good ones is because that's that's great, and we know that that's out there. But you know, trying to address the the issues, and if you're you know if you hear it, maybe we can when we talk about it, maybe it uh, you know changes someone's viewpoint. And they think to themselves, yeah, you know what? You're right. I got to focus a little bit more. I got to double down and, and uh, put that cell phone down maybe or, you know, not worry about the Instagram photo and appreciate the birds more and do it. Yeah, I, but the young guys that we hunt, and I say young guys, I'm talking about kids from 12 up, 12 to 25. I call it 25-year-old a kid and they're not a kid, but to me, it's still kids because my boys are that age. But you see guys that age especially high school kids that come out with their dads at Christmas. We do a lot of Christmas hunts. Mm -hmm. And the kids don't want to help put out decoys. They don't want to do, they don't want no part of it. And like I said, it's not all of them, but it, when we do have one that's really enthused about it, it's unusual because we talk about it. 
Oh, wow. Like, boy, that kid really gets into this. That's good to see because you don't see that as much. Yeah. Most of the kids are like, oh, God, Dad, okay. I'm on my phone. God, you know. Yeah. They want to sit in the truck and play a game while everybody puts all the decoys out and stuff. Back then, you used to not see that. The kids were loving it. They wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. And we got to get kids hunting again. And we don't have the kids involved like we used to. I don't hunt near the kids that we used to. But I tell you what I do hunt now, we hunt a lot more women than we used to hunt. Yeah, that's good. That's a, at least a, a step in there. A lot more women are involved with hunting now than they used to be. Yes, it is. It's great. And, but I do. I see more and more of them all the time. And I've, I've, some of the best shots I've seen have been women lately. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think that they there's not a, uh, you know, at the Olympic level, the best shooter, uh, I think, is a woman. And it's no, and it's me. marked up, too. Like, uh, like. In most sports, you know, when it comes to athleticism and stuff, you know, the guys run faster, do more push-ups, do more pull-ups. But the male athletes can't touch the women athletes when it comes to some of that competitive shooting, especially the air rifle stuff. Um, uh-huh. Just because of, uh, I don't know, balance and stability and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but they, by far and away, I know that they, they can hammer them. Yeah, I've seen lots of good women that are really good shots. They're good hunters, and I see more of them all the time. Yep, I'm excited to get my daughter and hopefully have her favorite color be camo and not have to worry about, you know, cheerleading practice and have to worry more about, uh, you know, ducks. So You'll have that too, though. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I got it. It's oh, funny, we, we talked about women being great shots, and we also talked about how much drama they bring. So see there, it levels it out. Oh. Yeah, of course. <laughs> My wife, is. Uh, she'll listen to this and she'll say, oh, hey, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, about uh, 45 minutes in, you got a comment. And, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah. Oh, you know, and you talk about women being dramatic. Heck, you get three dudes out in a, in a in a duck blind arguing over uh where that mojo's going you know you you gotta have a shot caller out there whoever drove the truck he gets to make all the decisions that's, a, what that's I a good think. deal my, my deal so. is if you drive you get to control the radio mm, yep yep so that, that, that those are that's great advice for people yeah, whoever drove you out there or spent the most resources, they they get to make decisions, I think. <laughs> they Or they get to be the trump card, at least. Another thing so. I've seen is the big change in the vehicle. Well, it's like everything else, things are getting more automated and stuff. But uh, navigation devices, yeah, people rely on them way too damn much. <laughs> I see more people get lost because they get the wrong, the, the, the Google Maps is wrong. And everybody has a four-wheel drive, and not everybody needs to be driving a four-wheel drive because some people have no business with one. Uh, there's one of my buddies' place um, up in Nebraska. Uh, we were having a big float on the river, and I invited a bunch of my college friends. Um, hey, come float down the river and do some, you know, as they would call it, redneck things. Um, and I give them directions. I text them the directions, and they're like, "Dude, just send me a pin." I said, well, "I ain't gonna work when you get out here because there ain't much cell phone reception out here." And I was giving them the directions. I said, "All right, you're gonna, you know, get yourself to Central City, and then, you know, head north on this road until you see a big old uh, grain bin silo that's dented in." Okay, once you hit that dented in one, 
go till you see the big old cottonwood tree. And they're like, are these serious directions, dude? And yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, we're not coming, man. And I said, no, you know, you got to come out here. And they, you know, we're, yeah. <laughs> but People rely too much on the phones. I'm fixing to go to the lodge, and we've got 70 dove hunters this weekend for opening weekend. So be getting people start trickling in about 2 o'clock today. Awesome. But I have well, enjoyed awesome, Jeff. visiting with you, sir. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I look forward to keeping up with each other all during hunting season and hope our podcasts both keep growing the way they have been. Yeah, I'm excited for it. So I'm glad there's some good crossover happening at least. So. Yeah, and I appreciate you know everything you've done, and you've been a lot of advice, and you've sure helped us a lot on a lot of different things. And I do appreciate it because it's been a learning curve. Oh, and yeah, right back at you on that. So it's nice to have somebody that you can bounce your your issues off of when it comes to podcasting and all the the different uh, concerns and problems that we face in that realm, at least. Well, I hope your Huskers win. I hope you have a great weekend. Yep, I hope you guys stay safe out there, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Yes, sir. You have a good weekend, sir. Yep, you too. Uh, Bye. All right, and to finish up here, I want to talk a little bit about some of our partners that we've got on the show. First, we've got Hunt Hickory Creek. So Chase uh, over at Hunt Hickory Creek, they're doing something pretty cool, especially with this veteran giveaway. Um, And we've also got the Fowl Front Hunt, which is on the weekend there in December. Uh, So we're really excited about that, and... We're going to be hoping to make that a, uh, oh, uh, an annual thing. So uh, we can definitely look forward to hearing a little bit more from uh, them as the season progresses. And don't forget, if you're you know, thinking about spending money on a guided hunt somewhere out of state, especially in Kansas, get on over here, talk to Chase, talk to Cody, talk to Scotty, uh, and you can you know, basically get to check out a guide service for, for free and make an informed decision instead of just some some guy off the internet or somebody kind of told you something about this, you can you know get in there and you can really get to know them. And they're really good dudes and they have a lot of really cool stuff coming up. So uh, go check out Hunt Hickory Creek if you're looking to get on an excellent waterfowl hunt um, anywhere around central Kansas. We've also got Dive Bomb Industries and Dive Bomb Industries has given us 10% off uh, with the foul front code. So if you're looking to get into an affordable, extremely realistic and really easy to set up spread um, and basically want to add some numbers and be able to compete with like guys like Outfitters or the dude next next door who's throwing out, you know, 20 dozen, go check out Silhouettes because uh, go check out Dive Bomb Decoy Silhouettes. So uh, these things are, they're legit. And it's a really good way to build numbers fast and to compete. So uh, plus they're really cool. Really cool company, and they got a lot of cool stuff coming out in the next several months. And then, you know, I've gotten a little bit of a, you know, look. <laughs> I've been just through talking with Asher and um, Cody, and like, they have some really cool stuff and plans for the future. So, um, and once again, kind of the common tenant here of all these partners is that they're all really cool people and really interesting companies. So, yeah. Really looking forward to seeing what they've got coming out and give them a shot because it takes about a minute to set out a dozen of these things and they take up zero space in the garage or truck. So go check out Dive Bomb Industries. Uh, we've also got Toe Tags LLC. Now, Toe Tags LLC is a company, they're based out of Kansas and um, you just heard their story. 
it's uh, you know a caution, a cautionary tale, a tale of you know a lot of heartache, and hopefully we can help you avoid any of that situation with Toe Tags LLC. I used them this weekend, and they're super easy to use. And you know you might think it's a hassle and all that stuff, but just the confidence of walking out of the field, knowing that a game warden can't touch you because you are literally following the letter of the law. It, it feels pretty good, you know, and it, it was really convenient too. Cause I just slipped it in the, the bag and threw it in the, the freezer and it's good to go. I know that I've got four teal there instead of, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, obviously you can tell teal, but it's nice to know what you've got in each bag. All right. We've also got Athlon optics and this might be some of the first time you're hearing about Athlon optics, but they produce some really good shooting scopes, but I reached out to them because they produce really awesome binoculars. And I'm telling you, I've looked, uh, I, I've looked through these Athlons, and I've got a pair in my truck right now, and you can see so much better. I, I pulled up, I won't name the brand that my dad has, but we we're looking out, you know, through his, and then I pulled mine up, and um, <laughs> it's a clear, clear difference. And not to mention, any company that is willing to go out there and say, hey, here's a lifetime guarantee, lifetime warranty. You know, it, it's good to know that you can have your binoculars and use them instead of having to like keep them in an egg carton or something in the back of your, in your backpack. Or it's good to know to just go out there with confidence that if uh, something happens to them, there's a, there's a company that's going to stand behind them. So, yeah. So go check those out. That's Athlon Optics. They're also a Kansas company. And uh, if you give Athlon Optics a quick Google search, you're going to find that this is not some small-time thing going on here. They're in most of the top five for as far as glass, and and they uh, they're producing binoculars that are they're producing and selling them at a point that they 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 I don't know how they sustain it, but these things are definitely worth three or four times what you'd be paying for them. That's definitely another consideration to think about. So go go ahead and check on uh, Athlon Optics and uh, tell them we sent you over there. And uh, you know what? We're gonna be doing um couple giveaways um, that they've they've sent us over some binoculars and instead of just keeping them in my blind bag I'm gonna try to put them into yours so look forward to that uh, we've also got freelance hunt stats uh, that's obviously Elliot from over there at freelance uh, duck hunter um, he is got this awesome um, entrance system where you can basically plug in all of your uh, data instead of just keeping a journal of kind of what you did you this thing actually it's a journal but you can go back and you can analyze it and you can use the analytics and you can break stuff down. It's pretty cool. Just give up a, a one Starbucks or give up one monster a month and you'll be, you'll, you'll be in, in like Flint. So go ahead and check that out. And then you can improve on your future hunting successes and basically get to go back and look fondly on, on all these things. On all of, that's one of the things that I like about my hunting journals and what I'm really excited for, for this thing is because now I can go back and be like, Oh yeah, you remember that? Yeah, that's, that's cool. So yep. Go check them out. We've also got, uh, we got duck nuts, um, duck nuts, you know, I hadn't used them in the field until this weekend. They, they're amazing products. Um, you can literally just, you to throw it on there, you just do a quick tie and then all you got to do is just grab the decoy in one hand, the loop in the other, stretch it across, and the the duck nut <laughs> slides either down to the bottom where you can you know, then throw it out, or it slides back up to the you know the keel, and then you just throw it into a bag. And 
you don't have to worry about things getting wrapped up because it's the the weight part is sitting right next to the uh, the decoy, and so you throw them all in a bag, and all you got to do is grab plastic, and then the freaking line just follows it out. So instead of like a Texas rig where you have to like make sure you're not crossing lines or or shoving anything down in there, and you got a big old mess when you just throw it down, this thing you just throw it in a bag and grab a decoy, toss it out. It's pretty dang simple. So yeah, go check them out. They've also got uh, 10% off uh, if you use the code FOULFRONT on their site. So head on over to ducknuts.com. That's D-U-K-N-U-T-Z. Then there's uh, Gypsum Creek Retrievers. Evan down there is running a full-service gun dog training facility uh, right in the middle of Kansas. And we look, I look forward to heading down there. I'm actually in a couple weeks here, two weeks. I'm heading down there and we're going to we're going to go hunt it up and uh, get, get on some teal, and he's going to show me kind of some of his methods and some of his dogs that he's training right now, and I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to do an episode um, basically on, you know, tuning up dogs and kind of what his program is all about. It's not like most of the programs out there, but it's got some similarities with some of the, the really more successful dog trainers out there. So, yeah. And then we've also got, if you are trying to figure out how to learn to call, or even if you just want to make sure that you're all tuned up, there's some there's some good programs out there uh, for you. But I'm going to recommend Duck Tech app. Um, so if you go down into the Google Store and you Duck Tech um, Duck Tech mobile app. Download this thing, um, and it's got uh, Barney Califf on there, who is a you know three-time world champion duck caller, and he teaches you the elements, the basic elements of your duck calling and kind of tells you you know what they mean and when to hit them and all that stuff i looked through it and it's pretty cool the coolest feature about it is is you can hear it you know it goes wah, 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 and then you can make the sound wah, wah, wah. it'll record you and then it'll play it over that so you can say okay this is what they sound like this is what i sound like oh, okay dang okay delete that recording and then hit it again and so that you can kind of um compare and evaluate yourself and I think that's an extremely useful function. Last but not least, we've got SRB field rests, and these things are cool too. There's it. They're also a local Kansas company. In fact, the where he gets them manufactured and molded um, is I am you know I'm up here at my parents' house, and I'm looking south, and you know in Nebraska you can just about see 20 miles, and uh, you can almost see it. So these things are pretty cool. Instead of laying your expensive shotgun in the mud, you just stick this thing in the mud or the ground and uh, it props it right there, and they've got they've got stands for uh, all sorts of stuff. They got crossbows, shotguns, rifles, and uh, you know whether you're in a dry field or a muddy field, or if you're in a marsh, you know the flooded fields or the flooded timber, he's got something for you. So um, head on over to srbfieldrest.com and enter the code uh, FOULFRONT for a 10% discount store wide. So all right, guys and gals, I'm super excited that. We got to sit here and educate and inform you on some of these uh, laws and stuff that we might not have known about before. And uh, just really thankful for you guys sticking around and supporting these companies. And we'll see you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great-great-grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. 
Uh, we also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like. And we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right. Stay safe out there and we will see you next week. Hey, you ever been sitting in front of your TV just wondering why you can't catch the latest episode of The Foul Front right there in your living room so you can press all your guests and family with your fine taste and podcast listening? Me neither. But hey, as a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, you can now find The Foul Front and some other great podcasts on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, Smart TV, even your gaming console just by downloading the Waypoint app. And heck, while you're there, they got over 2,500 hunting and fishing shows on demand. Go download the Waypoint app today. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.